We here at the Fumbling Four Network take mental health very serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can text or start an online chat. Once again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lurecast. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me is our fellow host, Ariel. I kind of miss introducing the show. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's good to have you back. So uh, before we continue with our introductions to Daniel. (laughs) I didn't know he was here today. No, Daniel. So uh, last week we missed our episode and... Though we are sorry for it, we had very good reason. Uh, Ariel has been in and out of the hospital lately with um, mini strokes. She's doing well. Just want all our listeners to know she's doing well. She's back with us. You say this like I'm not sitting right here. I know. So, yes, <laughs> last week I was in the hospital, so we could not record because who wants to bring all of that equipment <laughs> into the hospital? And uh, not only that... COVID. So there was only one person allowed in my room. <laughs> well, uh, that and uh, I mean, you need rest. So <laughs> healing's more important. <laughs> I don't know. It would have kind of been funny to do an episode because I was so out of it and loopy. <laughs> you wouldn't have known what came out of my mouth. Oh, my God. Might have been a funny episode. No. <laughs> but no, seriously, I am doing better. Thank you all for your well wishes. I really appreciate it. It has helped me stay positive mm-hmm. because well, you know takes a toll on your mental health when you're constantly in the hospital so mm-hmm. i appreciate everyone and with that being said daniel our other fellow host hi there daniel how do you follow up to that daniel <laughs> i just show up it's because he's daniel he doesn't need a follow-up he doesn't it's just daniel it's daniel oh gosh all right so <clears throat> This episode, we're going to be talking about characters, B.O.W.s, and Easter eggs from R.E. Village. R.E. 8. No, it's Village. The creator said Village specifically. (laughs) I'm going to die on this hill. And in further news, now Aaron is in the hospital. (laughs) Daniel, let's take over. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well... To get right into things, let's start with none other than our characters. Who do we got? A lot. Oh, yeah. Well, first and foremost, let's start with Ethan Winters. Ooh. Coming back again for eight, of course. Now, I talked about Ethan in the last episode. Mm Mm-hmm. What I want to discuss is the kind of in-between. Okay. So not too much to discuss. So um, I kind of discussed it in the plot already last episode. Mm-hmm. Him and Mia were sent to live in some place in Europe. It was not specified. 
after what happened in Louisiana. And they were there for three years and had Rosemary. And they were celebrating Rosemary's half birthday because that's a thing parents do. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I'm not. Um, it's a thing parents do. So they were celebrating her half birthday when Chris all came in and killed Mia. Or so we think. Dun, dun, dun. I can say this now because we've already discussed the plot. Yep. So anyways, this, that's all I really wanted to go over with Ethan because I had discussed him previously and mm-hmm. seven. So next character we have is Mia. So really, that's the same thing. Mm-hmm. She, they went to go, well, ta-da, she's actually gotten abducted. Again. Yes. <laughs> but we don't know this because Miranda decided she wanted to play wife with Ethan. weird i know <laughs> so anyways yeah that's basically the only difference with mia at some point she got abducted and, and miranda took her place because she wanted some ethan action so then we have chris which mm-hmm. you know he's in it's basically the same from what i discussed in seven don't need to go too much into him i do want to go into something with him a little bit though a difference between him and six, seven, and now village or eight. He has gotten a lot darker. Of course. You really see that. You really see it more in eight than mm-hmm. you did seven because he was to die at the end. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you really do see that yep. more darker version of him in eight. And I love how they played that off of basically all the traumatic events that Chris has had to go through. Because Chris has been there since the beginning and it had basically been involved in nearly every single B.O.W. incident. He has the most trauma out of all the Resident Evil characters. I I would have trauma, too, after punching some boulders. (laughs) No, really. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he has. He's lost a lot of people. He's thought he lost a lot of people and then they come back. And then he loses somebody new. And he's just, he has to deal with a lot of loss, well, a lot of even, destruction. Even in eight, his whole thing was, yeah, I want to be secretive and dark because I want to keep Ethan safe. Exactly. And what happens? Ethan dies. Mm-hmm. And we see that again, the real, ri- we see that again at the end when the real Chris comes out. At the end of Village, when he comes out full born. He's got to protect everybody. He's got to save the day again. He's got to protect Ethan. Well, really, at the end, when you see it, when he's going and avenging Ethan, mm-hmm. I must avenge him. Oh, Chris yeah. is still a great guy. He just is hard, but his heart is still underneath there. Oh, yeah. So um, going on from that, now let's discuss Mother Miranda. <laughs> now this one, yes, I'm going to go into... Now, we did mention Mother Miranda or Miranda a little bit in the viral episodes, Mm -hmm. but I'm going all in. So here we go. Miranda was an Eastern European biologist and cult leader who ruled over an isolated mountain village from 1919 to 2021. 
After losing her only daughter to the Spanish flu, she discovered and became infected by the mold within a nearby cave. Gaining vast knowledge and superhuman powers from the infection, she pioneered research on this mysterious fungus and used it to conduct experiments on local villagers over the next century, hoping to find the perfect vessel to revive her daughter. In February 2021, she abducted Rose for this purpose and, seeing no further use for the villagers, committed a genocide by unleashing lichens on the local populace. So let's go a little bit more into her early life. She was born sometime in the late 19th century in an agrarian mountain village in Eastern Europe. In 1909, she gave birth to the first and only child, Ava. In 1919, the Spanish flu made its way to the village and devastated its population. The death toll was so high that the cemetery was soon full to capacity forcing many survivors to bury their loved ones outside of the village, included, including in the potter's field. Among those who perished in this pandemic was Ava, only 10 years old at the time of her death. Driven to despair, Miranda ventured into a nearby cave wherein she intended to commit suicide. However, before she could end her life, she came across a massive ancient fungal supercolony, which she dubbed the Mold. Of all the things that you could name, let's just stick with the mold. Come on, it could have been a cool name. Listen, she's a simple lady who has simple names. It's the mold. <sighs> <laughs> so she ended up touching a portion of the large mass, mass and in the process saw the memories of hundreds, if not thousands, of people who have been consumed by the fungus over the centuries. So... I'm surprised her mind didn't completely shatter with that visual. Well, let me continue. <laughs> so among those memories was Ava herself, mm -hmm. whose body had been assimilated almost immediately after her burial. Believing she could use the mold to bring her lost daughter back to life, Miranda came to revere the substance as the Black God. So, I just want to take a second here. Miranda wasn't always bad. No. And to begin with, it was, I just want my daughter back. Mm -hmm. But, like many other people in Resident Evil, you get a hold of power, it goes straight to your head. And you will do anything to get what you want. Yeah, this was where her mind cracked. But hadn't completely shattered yet. No, because she had that little shred of hope of Ava's memories. Mm -hmm. That's why she didn't crack. That's why I said, let me continue. <laughs> so basically the rest of it, the rest of Miranda is um, the information of her going and using the villagers as test subjects and going and making the four lords having Spencer as her underling and you know all the stuff that I've already mentioned with the plot mm -hmm. so that's Mother Miranda yeah I'm 
I'm still impressed that her mind did not completely shatter after seeing all these thousands of years of memories in one go. Yeah, but a mother's love is a love like no other. (laughs) So it's really actually, I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself and I need to stop. However, all of the, you know, the four lords and Miranda, they all have a really sad backstory. Mm -hmm. All of them do. And it makes you feel for them when you're not supposed to because they're evil assholes. But you feel for them. Mm. So, continuing on, we have Heisenberg. (laughs) He's my favorite. And not just because he's good looking. Because he is. (coughs) So, Heisenberg was a human mutant who lived in an eastern... European mountain range. A genius in engineering, he is presumably the patriarch of the Heisenberg family. He runs the inherited Heisenberg factory located just outside the village and serves Mother Miranda along with the other three major houses in the mountain range. So so here's a little bit of a sad backstory like, you know, I said all of them have. Heisenberg was kidnapped and subjected to the Cadobaris parasite experiments by Miranda, who tried to brainwash him into being her servant with only limited success. And eventually he became one of her lieutenants. Mm-hmm. He was the only one who held a grudge against Miranda due to her own selfish desire to revive her late daughter at the expense of the villagers and how she saw their family as nothing more than experiments. As such, he secretly planned a rebellion to get his freedom back, building an army of cyberguised, reanimated corpses and hoping to use Rose's latent powers to defeat Miranda. At one point, He attempted to persuade Ethan to join him, but of course he refused. And the Heisenberg family was closely associated with the noble Benevento, Moreau, and Dimitrescu families and maintained the alliance with them in controlling the region. And he rarely strayed from his factory, preferring to hole himself up in its walls. Now, the rest on Heisenberg is what happens in the game. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that I felt for him because he wanted freedom. Oh, yeah. He wanted freedom and he was upset because of Miranda and her selfishness and what she has done to the village and himself. Mm-hmm. That's why I said, like, they make these characters, I wouldn't say relatable, but you feel for them. You feel for them because they have a good purpose, but go about it in wrong ways. Oh, yeah. It Honestly, personally, at this point in the storyline, when you finally have to take him on, it really devastated me to say no to him, as bad as it sounds. I really wanted to have his assistance. And I really wanted him to gain his freedom. But I was afraid, too, what he would do with that freedom. Well, I mean, think of it this way. He was so hell-bent on getting his freedom and avenging everything Miranda had done that he was willing to become Miranda herself. Mm -hmm. He was willing to use a girl and her powers 
for his own benefit, which yeah. is exactly what Miranda's doing. So through that power and that lust for his freedom, he became a monster. Oh, it's, yeah. It's sad. It is. Fuck you, Resident Evil. <laughs> Not really, but... We love you. That's why we do this show. I know. So next one up is Salvatore Moreau. His past is shrouded in mystery, although it is known that he belonged to the Moreau family and served as its final house lord. Due to his nautical tattoos, there is a good possibility he was a sailor or fisherman at one point in his past. For generations, his family maintained an alliance with all of the, the other three families in the village as with many others in the region, Moreau was a follower of Miranda and eventually infected with a cadeau, mutating him into a grotesque fish-like monster. Partially as a result of his grotesque appearance, Moreau exhibited an almost total lack of self-worth, completely isolating himself on his reservoir and only rarely setting foot outside of it. He was desperate to prove his worth to the other lords and to please Miranda, whom he viewed as his actual mother. Oh, wow. I know. To this end, he conducted experiments on the villagers using the Cadeau, although none of those experiments were successful. He also often mutated into a large salamander fish hybrid mutant, where he swam around the flooded region and fed on unsuspecting fishermen. And the location in which he performed his experiments is Moreau's Clinic. Oh, wow. Indicating that he or a member of his family were physicians before mutations. You see, that's interesting because you can see out of the houses we've discussed so far, Heisenberg's house was probably due. They were probably like the developers of the windmills and the guns in the area and, you know, the mechanical aspects of the area. Whereas Moreau and his family were probably the port side. Mm-hmm. Distributors, you know, the imports, exports, the, you know, the fishing, the, you know, all the aquatic based trade. So it's interesting how they've divvied up the families thus far and the power that they hold. Yeah. And just one more thing. He was obedient in the fact that he was given the flask to guard. Mm. But. He was extremely worried and upset because he would be abandoned by Miranda once Rose was resurrected as Ava. <laughs> so, like, his whole story, it's kind of sad. Clearly, I, well, I don't know, clearly, it's under the assumption because it's not really set in stone that maybe he didn't have a mother. And he viewed Miranda as his mother Mm -hmm. and he was obedient and everything else. And then he became this fish mutant thing and he had zero self-worth because everyone found him grotesque. Everyone did. So then he felt he only had Miranda. And then when the possibility now arose of Rose being the perfect vessel, now he was hit with now I'm going to lose her too. You kind of see how he doesn't really effectively guard the flask when we first get it in the game. It's just sitting there. Mm-hmm. He just does not care about that flask. 
I think, and this is a th- me thinking, not sentence, you know, it's not a, it's a theory. He wanted Ethan to take it because he wanted Ethan to have Rose back because then Ava wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. And he would still have his mother. Yeah, I think it wasn't until he realized mentally that if he lost it, he would also be in severe trouble and maybe Mother Miranda wouldn't love him anymore as a mother too. I know. So he was he was really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Oh, again, Capcom, you got us in the feels. Stop it. So next is Donna Benevento. So she was born into gentry sometime in the 20th century. The family of House Beneviento had ancestral links to Berengario, an ancient mutant in folklore said to have settled the region with three others. <clears throat> From whom the Dimitrescu, Moreau, and Heisenberg families are descended. Hmm. Interesting. I'm kidding. Whether this feudal rule over the region was continually maintained or had disappeared by the Great War is uncertain. Though Miranda, a prophet serving the Black God, sought to establish their descendants as a council controlling the region under her oversight. So the Beneviento family slowly fell apart over the century. Her parents committed suicide when she was still a child. Due to an undiagnosed mental health problem, Beneviento developed deep-seated interpersonal anxieties, which kept her largely isolated, preferring to talk to people through Angie, a doll made by her father. Donna's adulthood was mostly focused on her hobby of doll making, effectively replacing her deceased family. Whether Claudia was a sister or her only daughter is uncertain. At some point in adulthood, Donna was implanted with a cadeau. She survived the experimentation with little change in physical appearance or cognitive development, gaining the ability to secrete a psychoactive chemical which could induce extreme, even violent hallucinations in people. She was, however, judged to be a failure by Miranda, who saw her as mentally ill and underdeveloped. In spite of this, Donna was welcomed as an adopted daughter and given a council seat at the cave church as one of the four lords. This had a positive effect on her, and she would talk about it to her gardener, though was still not able to express it without Angie. So, kind of going back here on Claudia Beneviento, she was um, she was a noblewoman. She was a close relative of Donna, and she was the one that Miranda wanted. Hmm. But was a very unsuccessful <laughs> candidate. Claudia was so that was I just kind of wanted to go back on that a little bit I feel like another in the feels moment I feel like the Beneviento family got the shortest end of this stick they did I mean clearly the family suffered mental illness Mm -hmm. clearly and no one's no one thought to help them 
Yeah. And it was in all the family. I mean, her parents committed suicide. Yeah. And she had such severe anxiety that she couldn't talk to people. She had to talk through a doll. And I know that ostracized her as a child. And, you know, people thought she was just the weirdest little kid ever. Out of all the villains in this game, this is the one that hurt me the most to kill. And it hurt me the most to play through the story. I, in fact, had to stop playing the storyline on four separate occasions because it hurt me so bad. Yeah, it's mental illness is not. I mean, they didn't play it as a joke. No, they would never. But it's not a joke. It's not something to joke about. And seeing it in a game like that and having to go through her mental illness was heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. It was downright heartbreaking. It was terrifying at the same time. I mean, I will say that <laughs> big old fetus, <laughs> big old fetus. Oh, goodness. All right. Let's now go into some vampires because why not? What? Yeah. With Alcina in the game, our beloved Duke pronounces the name Dimitrescu. Whether that's the exact pronunciation, I don't know. So I'm sorry, listeners, if I am not pronouncing this correctly. Lady D. So, yeah, let's get into her and her big bosomed story. <laughs> oh, it's, it's true. She was born into the noble Dimitrescu family sometime before the Great War and through this ancestry inherited a hereditary blood disease, possibly porphyria, cutania, tarda. That is a lot. Although her family traced their origins to Césaire, one of the four founders of an isolated mountain village in Europe, Alcina herself lived elsewhere, perhaps through a cadet branch. At some point in her youth, likely the 1930s, She had a brief music career in the emerging jazz scene, where she went by the name Miss D (laughs) and played in a band called the Pal Boys. The Paul Boys. The Paul Boys. That's... In the aftermath of the Second World War and the abolition of the nobility, Dimitrescu returned to her family's former lands, which had fallen under the control of a neo-pagan cult worshipping the Black God. Prior to 1958, at the age of 44, Dimitrescu was lured by Miranda to a crypt beneath the village cemetery where she was surgically implanted with a cadeau. The purpose of this experiment was to determine her viability as a candidate who would become a host to a parasitic intelligence at a later date. This experiment mutated Alcina's body considerably, granting her regenerative capabilities, retractable claw-like nails, and the ability to transform into a dragon-like monster and back again. Moreover, the parasite halted her aging process, maintaining her appearance perpetually. In spite of these impressive biological changes, the resulting mutation did not nullify her blood disease. As a result, Dimitrescu needed a ready supply of fresh human blood to maintain her health and was therefore judged by Miranda to be a failure. 
which is sad again. She just wanted to play jazz. <laughs> she just wanted she to be in a jazz band. Jazz. I do like the fact, though, that they basically created Capcom basically created their own rendition of vampires. I know. <laughs> and that's super cool. It is super cool. I was excited when this first came out because I was like, werewolves and vampires. <laughs> so although Dimitrescu was no use as a host, her claim to castle Dimitrescu was recognized by Miranda and was allowed to take residence in the village as one of the four lords who would maintain order over the native peasantry while aiding Miranda in Cadeau research. Upon inhabiting the estate, Dimitres took over her family's vineyard and wine distribution business as means of supporting herself. Relishing in her reclaimed noble status, she developed extreme caste-based views of society, seeing herself as second only to Miranda. She openly loathed the other three house lords, particularly Heisenberg, whom she frequently argued with. She privately bemoaned that she was not Miranda's favorite, instead being treated the same as all the others. Despite this, Dimitrescu's alliance with the other houses allowed her to rule her castle with barbarous cruelty, regularly taking in new staff to replace those who had been taken to her dungeon to be killed and drained of blood for substance. Sustenance. Dimitrescu's own experiments with Cadeau appear to have been limited as the only confirmed instance as an experiment begun by Miranda and monitored by Dimitrescu. In this experiment, the corpses of three women were implanted with Cadeau parasites. Over the course of about a week, the Cadeau produced fly-like organisms, which then consumed the flesh of all three bodies. Having assimilated the DNA of these women, the flies merged to mimic their human shapes and their likenesses. Dimitrescu immediately formed a bond with these three women, whom she named Bella, Daniela, and Cassandra, and came to regard herself as their mother. They obeyed her without question and were similar to her in that they were ageless and reliant on vampirism for substance sustenance because I can't say words however they were incapable of withstanding cold thus remaining trapped within the confines of the castle and that's that on Lady D <laughs> and I I did hear some rumors that th well okay theories not rumors theories that she was based off of Elizabeth Bathory. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, she loved her man meat a little too much to be, you know. <laughs> so, going on. I also wanted to point out, did you notice that her and the three daughters is A, B, C, D? <laughs> I did not until just now. As you were saying that, I mean, you did the BCD out of order, but it was still ABCD <laughs> if you go by it. That's great. Damn it, Daniel. I'm never going to be able to look at their names the same again. Okay, so to kind of shorten this, because whew, we're going to get into this. We're getting little in there, and I still have a shit ton of characters. I already went over Bella, Cassandra, and Daniela. Hmm. So I'm not really going to go into them. They were fly-like beings that were daughters of, well, daughters, 
quote unquote, of Alcina, apparently named after the alphabet. And moving on to who I really want to talk about is the Duke. The Duke. Yes, I love the Duke. He's awesome and I absolutely love him. And he serves as a merchant and aids Ethan Winters in Village because I love the fact that they brought the merchant back and I love the fact that this merchant talks to you. And this merchant knows the merchant from four. I know. (laughs) I'm so happy. So the Duke was the village's resident merchant for years. He's an obese person with a jolly personality. His emporium littered with supplies and bedecked with garlic to fend off vampiric monsters. His motives are often purely profit-driven, as he is willing to do business with anyone in the village, including Alcina, as he had a station inside her castle. Mm-hmm. This is how he was able to move around everywhere. Despite this, he has occasionally granted favors to several villagers. He brought old newspapers to Ernest upon request so that he could read about goings-on on the outside world, despite being forbidden by Miranda. He also seems to know the merchant from Spain. So, as the game's merchant, he sells Ethan weapons, supplies, upgrades, and blueprints to craft supplies on the go. He will also buy valuable treasures for Lay and provide boosts by preparing special dishes from meat, poultry, and seafood. And I... (laughs) That was fun. (laughs) It was a pain in the butt to get some of the special items, but it was still fun. Yeah, it was fun to cook. Okay. So despite his human facade, he seems to have an omnipresent, omnipotent and immortal nature. He is able to move his cart around quite quickly and is conveniently present in several locations, whether Ethan needs him. He has extensive knowledge of the village and its history, as well as the true nature and plans of Mother Miranda and the Lords, despite not being physically present. He supplies valuable information, integral to Ethan's journey, and serves as something of a guide to him. He is also unaffected if Ethan fires weapons or attacks him in a way. After the village is attacked, he becomes Ethan's aide. He meets Ethan in front of the castle. Though he already seems to know who Ethan is and that he is there to rescue his daughter. So then after all of that is just the things that happen in the game with a Duke. I just absolutely love him. I like the idea that the merchant from RE4 was infected. And now you have the merchant from Village who also seems to be affected or afflicted with something. So here's my theory. There is just, an, there's another virus out there that we don't know. It's called the M virus. Mm-hmm. And it affects merchants only. <laughs> and that's how they all know about each other. And that's how they get around everywhere. And they don't, you know, get attacked by everything else. And uh, Yep. The merchant virus. This, this is canon. Is this it is now? canon in my mind. In my mind, <laughs> it's canon. So, the M-Virus. Um, so, the next character I have on my list is the Hag, which we learn later on that that is Miranda. Mm. So, 
So that's basically all the characters I want to go over. So all the other characters on this list are all um, you meet like for two second characters. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into all of them. So ta-da, that's the characters. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the characters that I'm going to go over. Right. Well, that is a lengthy list. Oh, I can continue on and on and on. <laughs> I love this game. I really do. But anyway, we still have BOWs and Easter eggs to go over. So for now, why don't we go ahead and cut that to a mid-break? <laughs> Well, here we are in the middle of the show. Ariel, what do we do in the middle of the show? Say, it's awful middly in here. <laughs> we also thank our patrons. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to give a big shout out to our VIP patrons first, which is William Jackson and Chris Slate. And we also have to thank our oh-so-lovely all-access patron, Remington Cloutier. Woot. Woot woot. So uh, thank you to everyone who listens and everyone who tells everyone about it. We love you. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. And thank you to our patrons, because without you, we wouldn't have money to pay for equipment and do fun giveaways and things. So. <laughs> but with all that being said, I think it's time to dive into some mid-break stuff. So first off, Ariel. Oh, I get to go first? You get to go first. It's been a while. I know. It's been a while since I said I read an article <laughs> again. We can do that because it's a spoof. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for my awful singing voice. So I read an article, mm. much like I always do. And this one comes from comicbook.com. The title is Netflix's Resident Evil Releases New Clip. And I watched the clip, which was awesome. But let me go into this a little bit more before I talk about it. Okay. So, of course, the live action Netflix series, which is coming out Thursday. This episode's release. It's not out yet because we're not recording on Thursday. We recorded two days early. So, anyways, this new clip shows just how far Albert Wesker will go to protect his daughters, which is 100% unlike Albert Wesker. And this show is focuses on two different time periods, with the new clip seeming to take place in 2022 within New Raccoon City. So it's kind of hard to figure out what's exactly going on in the new clip, but it appears that young Billy has been injured. Wesker firmly instructs young Jade on how to escape whatever facility they are in with young Billy before seemingly causing some kind of computer malfunction. The clip concludes with Wesker dipping his hands in a pool of blood from a dead dog before wiping it on his face and shirt. It's unclear why he does this, but it certainly is played out with the implication being that there are significant repercussions to his actions. And so I watched the clip and yeah, it's like the, okay. So the dead dog is definitely a mutated dog. Huh. And I was pretty excited to see it because ooh, zombie dogs <laughs> and he does definitely put his hands in the blood and smears it all over. 
However, here's my kind of take on it. Maybe he was using it to so he smelled like the mutated dog. We have seen this in many other zombie movies. Exactly. He didn't smear it like over his mouth, over his eyes. It was literally just over his head on the side and was smearing it on his shirt. So um, that's my take on it. Um, I'm going to post the link for this in the show notes. It has the clip. Please watch it because it's pretty cool. Even though by this time you might have already watched the first part of it. So I'm excited about it. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about it with you guys, listeners. Um, Jump in the Discord. Talk with me on Thursday because I'm excited to talk about it when I see it. So, (laughs) yay. That's all I have for today. (sighs) Thursday. It's coming soon. I know. Well, when this episode drops, it'll be be Thursday. Thursday. (laughs) Oh, goodness. All right, Daniel, what'd you bring for us this mid-break? I was supposed to bring something. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to sick that zombie dog after you <laughs> before it died. So on Amazon, they have Resident Evil Village badge of the four houses, the four families. So they're mm. smaller badges. They run $15.99. Looks like you get a set of four. accessory a cosplay accessory, but I think you could have them for any time, especially if you're a collector. So they're $15.99 for Prime. So you may have free shipping if you are sponsored by Prime. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's got all four different houses. And see if it has says they are They're really small, so they're 1.53 length and width. So they are pretty small, but they are uh, in the shape of the badges or the emblems of the houses. So if you get them, you can also send them to us as well. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, because I kind of want it. <laughs> we'll post them in the show notes and show us if you get them in Discord. Oh, So on that same note of merchandise, I too brought merchandise, Daniel. I don't believe you. I brought... A Resident Evil a Lady D t-shirt from none other than Hot Topic. Of course you did, because you love her bosoms. That's not at all true. <laughs> but on that note, you can get a Lady Dimitrescu t-shirt, which features none other than the lady herself. And it has her name in full blood red font on a black tee. And it is a lovely little price of $13.99. Which is actually pretty cheap for a t-shirt. Yeah, realistically. Though they Mm could have just made it $14. Yeah, they could (laughs) have. But again, you can get this at hottopic.com and the link will be in the show notes. So with all that being said. Hold on. I just want to make a nice little thing here. Oh. Uh, So before we go back, I just, with Daniel saying that posting your merchandise in Discord, I love the fact that Legalized Queso sent a picture of the shirt in there that he had gotten from uh, Daniel's uh, one of Daniel's things with the um, social distancing since 1996 shirt. Oh, yes. <laughs> I just wanted to put throw that in there because <laughs> that was pretty awesome to see. I know. 
Oh gosh, I want one of those shirts still. Me too. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. With all that being said, I think it's time for us to jump to the end of the episode. Well, welcome back to the end of the village episode. Bye, everybody. Uh, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, don't worry. It's going to be another 40 minutes. So. <laughs> All right, Daniel. Let's talk BOWs. What about them? I hate. I'm done with you. <laughs> All right. So the first BOW to talk about is the Cadeau. Of course. The Cadeau, like the Black God, assimilate the DNA of a host and will alter the host to incorporate DNA from other organisms they have assimilated. Location of implantation varies, though it is uncertain if any change results from this. Both head and abdominal surgery were methods used. Any foreign DNA within the host body can also be assimilated by the Cadeau and spliced into the host genome. Cadeau implant implantation can be very dangerous for the host and often results in death within days. Those that do survive may turn into mutants such as lichens, who are seen as failed adaptations in their superhuman project. Kado are also noted to be able to control subcolonies of their own and are able to survive when bisected. So they're already terrible enough and now you can operate being torn apart because why not because Resident Evil <laughs> that's what I basically have on the Kado next up I have the Haulers Haulers are similar to Morakai but appear exclusively male and were mechanically modified by Carl Heisenberg their craniums are attached with a headgear in order to stabilize their neural activity similar to Soldatin Haulers are all armed with an axe made from scrapped metals. According to his notes, Heisenberg originally created the haulers without the cranial implants, but these specimens were completely brain dead and only moved by destructive instinct. The current haulers appear to be the 1.01 version of the Soldatin mentioned in his notes. These had the headgear installed into their craniums to stimulate brainwaves, allowing them to perform other tasks. However, their combat potential was non-existent compared to the lichen, with one specimen being killed and devoured within three minutes. After this, it appears the haulers were relegated to support roles only entering combat when an intruder is detected. That's what I have on haulers. Haulers! <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Next up, I have Living Dolls. <laughs> the Living Dolls, for the most part, appear to be normal dolls. They wear black and white clothing and appear to be based on young children. When in their attack mode, the dolls will sprout metallic spider claws and their eyes will be surrounded by a dark color. Some dolls appear to flicker or glitch during the fight with Angie. These dolls also have the ability to float. These dolls share many traits with spiders. This may be a reference to a weaver that was described at the beginning of the game, who also had spider-like aesthetic. The weaver is most likely Donna's distant ancestor. And these dolls, unable to talk, 
are quite able to giggle, though. <laughs> That's not worrisome enough to hear a doll giggle at you. That is, that's pretty terrifying. That's what I have on the living dolls. Next up, I have the lichens. Lichens are the result of a human being implanted with Kado, a parasitic nematode genetically modified by the mold. Originally, these people were failed test subjects for a superhuman project intent on finding a suitable host body for the copied Eva consciousness. With lichen being the result of the host and parasite rejecting one another due to the host's low affinity. These mutants were then cast out of the village by Miranda in order to keep the remaining townsfolk alive for future research. They then made their den in the ruins of a medieval fort and were treated more akin to foxes, only occasionally raiding the village to kill livestock. Though there have been cases of people in 2021 becoming lichen after being injured, it is uncertain if lichen are capable of infecting people or if they had already been injected with Kado eggs. In terms of intelligence, lichens are close to normal humans in that they are capable of expertly handling weapons such as bows, ride horses, and are seen to occasionally wear crude armor. Lichens are also social creatures, and thus they hunt packs and have a strong hierarchy where the larger lichen appear to have a leadership role. With Arias being the biggest lichen at the top as expected, though this may be only on a pragmatic basis. Yes, screw that guy. They're extremely aggressive and will attack their designated target they hunt on sight, except while stalking their prey. While I while lichen do prey on humans, they typically consume them after some time has passed. Lichen are known to hang their prey by rope for later consumption, usually while grabbing onto the corpse. They are not picky eaters, however, preying on nearly anything, including livestock, birds, and fish. In terms of physical appearance and strength, lichen are considered stronger than normal humans, and their distorted jaws give them stronger biting force, powerful enough to easily sever limbs of their victims or bite off fingers. They're also more agile and durable, able to take and endure multiple gunshot and stab wounds before finally going down and succumbing to death. And that's what I have on lichens. Next up, I have the Morakai. Morakai are identifiably human having once been human women who died during the torturous blood-draining procedures. Infected with the mold, they were revived but lacked regenerative abilities and had low intelligence. Morakai are known to have deformed and elongated fingers and toes, giving the appearance of claws. Given the notes found in the dungeon, it seemed Alcina may have been trying to create more daughters. However, they all turned out to be failures. Because we need more daughters for Alcina, apparently. Next up, we have the Soldat. Soldats are mutated humans experimented on by replacing their heart with a Kado parasite. Their muscles are stimulated with electricity, however they are nearly completely brain dead. As such, their only instinct is to destroy. Their craniums are outfitted with cybernetic headgear in order to stabilize their neural activity, allowing them to follow the most basic of commands. The ones with unstable physical condition are fitted with breathing apparatus to ensure they have sufficient oxygen supplied to their body. 
The rest of their body is equipped with other machinery to improve their combat capabilities. Most soldats use arm-mounted drills to impale, bludgeon, and shred their enemies. Their main weakness is the red glowing exhaust port on their chest, used to vent heat from the Cadeau reactor. Unlike the other mutants infected by the Cadeau, soldats don't calcify but instead implode due to their reactor. There are several variants encountered throughout Heisenberg's factory. The Soldat Eins is the basic variant with the left arm replaced by a drill. The Soldat Zwei, an upgraded Soldat Eins with both arms replaced by drills and a reactor vent has also been moved to its back. The Soldat Jet, an elite Soldat with a jet pack allowing it to make swift, lethal charges. Its head armor contains a laser sight to help it line up its dash attack. However, this can also alert Ethan to get out of the way. The Soldat Panzer is a large Soldat with three drills on each arm and its entire body encased in heavy metal armor. And the Sturm is a unique Soldat prototype with a massive blade of propeller mounted on its torso. And the last B.O.W. is the Varkalak. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that name, all these other names, it's very cool. And then you get the Varkalak. 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 Come on, get it right. It's a cool name. It sounds like Varkalak. a character from like a Resident Evil 80s game? cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> you mean like from Resident Evil Revelations 1? Wasn't there one with Blubber in his name? <laughs> yeah. The Varkalak body is a mix of recognizably human and wolf traits. Like canines, they walk in a quadrupedal gait, though their limbs are human in shape and proportion, with hind legs that are awkwardly balanced and require them to tread on their heels, and knees that brush close to the ground. Both their hands and feet are identifiably human, though their fingers are more elongated and claw-like. Their skull is a blend of human and wolf, resembling a human with an unusually large jaw consisting of sharp teeth used for tearing flesh. Their body is coated in thick hair, typically gray, which covers their spine, scalp, and beard prominently. Varkalak is effectively canine in intelligence, demonstrating no higher brain function and relying entirely on its physical strength rather than weapons unlike the lichen. And that's what I have on the Varkalak and the rest of the BOWs. Name is funny. I still stand by this, but those things are a nightmare to fight. Uh, yep. Especially when you make them, make them with a quadrupoodle. A quadrupoodle. <laughs> oh, goodness. So where poodle? So, this brings us to the last topic of this episode. Y'all want to talk some Easter eggs? No, not really. It's not April. <sighs> I'm done with both of you. Well, the first Easter egg on our list is uh, a blast from the past, shall we say. So, a lot of players who have played Resident Evil have also played another game by Capcom that has a little bit less of a lifespan, Dino Crisis. Yeah. <laughs> so... When you are at Ethan and Mia Winter's house, 
and you look at the wine bottles, there's tons of them. If you look at the name on the wine bottles, it is called Regina Rosé, which is a reference to the main character from Dino Crisis or one of the protagonists from Dino Crisis, Regina. So there is our first Easter egg. So our second Easter egg here is when Ethan finally wakes up in the middle of the forest. A lot of people might have gotten vibes of RE4 from this as Leon would walk through the forest at the very beginning of the game and it seemed to take a very exhaustingly long time. Don't get me started on the similarities between 8 and 4 because I will talk for another two hours. Oh, we're getting started because that is our next Easter egg is the fact that they were that the village this part of the game was actually modeled after that very first intro of RE4. Yep. So the next one we have is the bells. Yep. <laughs> so as you play the game and village, often the lichens are drawn away by the sounds of a bell, which is very reminiscent of another bell that we hear in the series. At the very, well, not the very beginning, but the beginning of four, mm -hmm. when you are facing off all those villagers. In fact, the very beginning of village is almost a step-by-step -step replica of four. Not to mention the other things. Mm. <laughs> so another Easter egg is from none other than our lovely Duke. At one point in the game, during Duke's dialogue, he will say, what are you buying? <laughs> and he will say it in a very familiar voice and laugh, which is a nod to the RE4 merchant. The next one, another RE4 nod, is the giant enemy we must fight, who is in charge of none other than a small group of people. Hmm, who does this sound like? That's for you to chime in, Ariel. I told you I could go on for two hours about the similarities. <laughs> so another nod to the RE4 series is our mace-wielding friend, Urias, who is almost a step-by-step -step replica of none other than Mendez, as Urias and Mendez were both village chiefs. Hmm. <laughs> uh, our number five is there's something in the lake. Oh, a lake monster, <laughs> same as four. Yes. So in four, there is the lake monster and none other than in eight. There's also another lake monster. The difference, however, here is the lake monster in eight is actually one of the main bosses. And you know, is a person is a person. Yes. So that is a huge difference. However, it's still another nod to. Well, yeah, because you have the lake, you have the lake monster. A little bit more mm -hmm. in depth than what it is, but. So another little Easter egg, which, okay, I included this in the list because I thought it was really cool. And if you played the game and you listened to the first episode before this, it's already been said, but I got to state it again. 
the nod to the Umbrella Corporation symbol. So there is a little Easter egg at the very beginning of the game when you finally get to right in front of the castle and you look at the pedestal, there is the Umbrella logo. And it is actually explained in game that this was the logo for representation of the four houses. And as we've discussed in many times throughout this series, Spencer took that logo and turned it into the Umbrella Corporation logo. Now, what's cool about this is that Village ties every single game together in a nice, neat circle because we get the beginning of where the mold came from. So that's why I wanted to include it on this list, because though it is a very in your face Easter egg, it is still none other than one of the greatest Easter eggs, I think, in the Resident Evil series next to the DeLorean. <laughs> Can't beat the DeLorean. So, the next Easter egg is actually a failed Easter egg. How do you fail? Well, the Easter egg didn't fail, but as we know throughout the Resident Evil franchise, there is the last ditch effort where someone comes in to throw a rocket launcher, to throw an extra weapon or somebody comes swooping in to add that little bit of extra flair to that final boss fight, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in this game, that happens when Chris runs in to shoot Miranda. But unlike the other games where this ends, whatever the other character is trying to succeed at, they accomplish. Ethan fails to get Rosemary which was quite the twist in the franchise. Because as we know, if one hero comes in to save the day, we automatically know it's going to succeed. This is the first time in the franchise where we've seen a character fail. Yep. <laughs> yep. So something funny I want to throw in here before we continue on with the Easter eggs. It's not necessarily an Easter egg, but I think it's hilarious. So you have the castle. And both four and eight. You have Salazar and Lady D. They're both egotistical, you know, I'm better than you monsters. What I think is funny is they went to the complete opposite spectrum. Salazar was tiny man and Lady D was giant woman. I, I was, I'm serious. Like it's, I thought it was hilarious because, you know, the the similarities between seven and eight, and you've got this castle, and you got this castle, and you know, you have basically the same characters, just male and female, but one is extremely short and the other one is extremely tall. Let's kind of just go to opposite spectrums <laughs> here. Thought it was funny. Just uh, wanted to throw that in there. So. On the topic of funny, another Easter egg is a self-defense book that you can find in Ethan and Mia's house. And it is none other than a self-defense book written by Joseph Kendo. And if this name sounds familiar, that is because it's none other than our gun shop owner from RE2. Yep. <laughs> so... Another Easter egg is, and it's easily missed, but it becomes very notable later on. As you're walking through Ethan and Mia's house, pay attention because all of the mirrored surfaces 
are covered. I, yeah, I noticed that right away the mm-hmm. very first time I played it. And that is because the reflection will show one's true self. Random. Mm-hmm. So another one is if you go upstairs in Ethan and Mia's home, you'll find a stack of boxes near an office area. And at the top of one of those boxes is a football player bobblehead that Ethan says when you look at it and you prompt it, I really need to get rid of it. This is a direct nod to the RE7 bobblehead that you have to shoot. (laughs) (laughs) So the last one here is... It's not really an Easter egg, more of a running gag. And it is Ethan's hand. So in the village, Ethan's hand is mutilated by one of the lichens. And a little later, his hand gets chopped off. This is a direct callback to RE7 when Ethan loses his hand in the beginning of the game and then reattaches it later on. And they did this because they wanted they wanted this running gag where Ethan just can't catch a break. He's always losing a hand. Let's give you a hand, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted you to truly feel helpless as Ethan and make you feel like Ethan is weighing over his head. <laughs> So that is some of the, excuse me. So that is some of the Easter eggs that stood out to me in eight. And if you know of some more, I really encourage you and welcome you to come into the discord and chat with us about it and let me know of some that I, that stood out to you because I love the Easter eggs. How about Heisenberg and Krauser? Uh, oh, really now? Hmm. <laughs> I feel like we can do an entire episode on this comparisons. I could. I feel like we should. I mean, if y'all want to listen to me compare four and eight, just let me know and I will do a whole episode <laughs> on it. I think we'll leave that up to the fans. <laughs> They're going to say, fuck no, Ariel, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> So that is all the time we have for tonight. But before we end this lovely little episode, we have to give some reviews. So, Ariel, what's up? What's your review? I give this a five Heisenbergs out of five. And I say this not because of the similarities between four and eight. I say this because I felt going from seven into eight. This was back to Resident Evil. Oh, yeah. This was everything that Resident Evil was to me. Back at it again, and I was so excited. The great, amazing storyline, the going from, you know, here to here to here and this linear path to the... everything. It's just, I was so excited finally and well I was so excited and finally got the satisfaction that I was looking for Mm -hmm. since really after five oh yeah and so anyway so the gameplay is great the storyline is great the 
all the characters, the depth, the enemies, the BOWs, everything. I give this a five because it definitely met everything that I look forward to in a Resident Evil game. Okay. The similarities between four and eight were just a bonus. (laughs) So, Danny, what do you think? So, I'm going to give it a four out of five. What? Rebecca's. Because I like BOWs, so I want more. And compared to some of these lists, the the lack of BOWs, I mean, there's plenty in there, but I want more. I always want more BOWs. Then I have to go over them. That's not bad thing. <laughs> well, I will have to give this five Ethan's fingers out of five. He doesn't have five on one of his hands, at least. Well, well I'm giving them back. <laughs> Um, though I agree the BOW list was short I do want to offer the counter argument of I don't think we needed more for this game because I like the fact that they kept they kept the same enemies just mutated them further throughout the game or changed them with with mechanical enhancements They, they didn't try to vary too much like we do we see in the other games, you know, we see, you know, the C virus mutates people in different ways. And we see, you know, we, we see different mutations. This game had a simple mutation. Everybody for the most part mutated in the same way, unless their blonde line differed. Yeah. And the fact that there were the four big bosses before fighting the big baddie herself. Mm-hmm. The fact that it wasn't all these mini bosses. These were bosses. Oh, yeah. That weren't in the other games. You have your little mini bosses and then fight the main tyrant or whatever. Mm -hmm. I liked the flow of the mini bosses in this game because it didn't quite feel like mini bosses. It just felt like a more challenging opponent. Yeah, because I didn't I didn't view them as mini bosses. They were bosses to me. Oh, well, I mean, that's a. That's a good point, too. But that's my opinion. Well, yeah. But I didn't really want a whole list, a whole lot of BOWs in this because it, for me, it felt like it would take away from the storyline aspect. Another great thing I liked about this game was that each villain had a tragic backstory. It wasn't just one villain had a tragic backstory and the other ones were just hungry for power like we're used to. Every single one of them had a tragedy that brought them either back to the village or kept them here and led them to Mother Miranda. And each one varied so drastically. And I loved that aspect of this game. Oh, yeah. And it showed the, you know, it showed how greed Mm-hmm. changes everything about you. Oh, yeah. That it makes you go insane. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. My review is five Ethan's fingers out of five. And remember, everybody, these are our opinions. As we all always say, go out and try it for yourself. It's a really great game. Go out and try it if you haven't tried it yet. The only thing I'm missing, and I've been missing for a while, Zombies. Please, let's bring some zombies back to Resident Evil. Actual zombies. 
let's do a full loop now. Yeah, I want my <laughs> zombies back. <laughs> well, with all that being said, I think it's time for us to bid everyone adieu. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and a review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger.